Well, good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Huntington Community Church, and uh, it's great to see so many of you. If, if, uh, if we need um, some spots for chairs, there's still some spots here, um, and what I love is when we dismiss kids in just a minute, there'll be a lot of chairs open. Uh, I would like to invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. We're actually going to finish up chapter 5 this morning. We've been walking through a uh, series, just verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, and the idea is that Jesus is greater. And so all the things that you chase after, whether that's financial gain or relationships, um, whether that's um, all the material stuff, we believe that Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus is greater than all those things. You can have all those things, and there's still going to be something inside you that's not going to be satisfied. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be content. Only Jesus can satisfy those deep longings of your soul. So that's kind of the heart of Hebrews. That's where we've been. And for the past two weeks and for the next three chapters, the author of Hebrews has been trying to make this point that, that Jesus is this greater high priest than Aaron. In fact, he's making the argument that Jesus is, is the greatest high priest ever in such a way that we don't need any other priest. But here at the end of chapter 5, and for most of chapter 6, he, like, he, he stops, he just pauses for a moment, and he just rebukes his audience. And um, over the next two weeks, we will see him address a very serious issue um, happening in the church, uh, and it's something called apostasy. Now, what in the world is apostasy, or to be uh, apostate? It, it means that someone is basically turning away from or have fallen away from their religion. That's what it means to be apostate or apostasy, someone who turns away from their religion. And so here, Hebrews is, is connecting this apostasy in chapter 5 and 6. Um, the author is connecting it with, with apostasy that was happening in the Old Testament. If you remember back in chapter 3, um, uh, we saw the Israelites left Egypt in this miraculous way. I mean, it would be a life-changing way. It would be the epitome of a mountaintop experience. Uh, and, and it all seemed good for a while, but after the emotions wear off, which is what happens, right? We have those mountaintop experiences. We come back from a conference or a retreat, and we're just excited about what God is doing. But at some point, the emotions wear off. The emotions had worn off, and the people began to ask, Moses, Moses, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, it's that question that the kids ask in the car, in the van, you know, on the way to, to you know, on vacationing. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, and, um, you know, after years of questioning, God finally turns around and he says, I'm turning this car around and you guys aren't going into the promised land. You're not going to make it. Uh, You're not going to enter into my rest. And so out of the 1.25 million Jews that left Egypt that night and began to wander around in the, the wilderness for 40 years, um, many of them were not true sons and true daughters of Israel. Um, they were born Jewish. They were raised Jewish. They had the external signs of circumcision, or, or of, uh, yeah, of circumcision, but their internal hearts were still hardened. Um, 
Many of you who are in small groups here at this church, we're going through the book of Acts. Maybe you remember um, even the first martyr, remember Stephen in, in, in Acts chapter 7? Uh, he even said the same thing. He said, you stiff-necked people. You remember that? He had that big speech. At the end of that speech, he said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised of the heart. Uh, you have always resisted the Holy Spirit. Just as your fathers did, so do you. So this was not a new thing, this apostasy. The fathers had been running away from God for years. And the author of Hebrews is trying to help the church to understand the same thing. That, that, that out of everyone here this morning who are in church, you know, some of you, are, you would say, well, I was in church this morning. But Hebrews is trying to get you to understand that you can be in church, but not be in Christ. That the two are not the same. That it is possible, it is absolutely possible to be a member of this church, this local church, but not be a member of the universal church. And even though this church is not that old, we've been around for about seven years. Uh, we have seen people fall away, even in our short life. We have seen people who were members of this church, and man, they look like it, they talk like it for a bit, but maybe troubled times came their way, and they just fell away. They became apostate. So here in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, um, we're going to see part 1 of a warning against apostasy. So if you are there, let's read um, Hebrews 5, verse 11. And um, next week we will be in part two of this warning against apostasy. I, I say next week we're going to be, if, we, if I have a baby, I have no idea. I might not be preaching next week. But at some point we will get to part two of a warning against apostasy. So verses 11 through 14, let's read this together. Um, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. God, this morning as we um, just begin to uh, explain and exposit this passage, Lord, I pray that you would um, deal with our hearts. That we would not be dull of hearing. That your word would not fall on hardened ears this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would hear from you. That we would be changed this morning. That we would maybe just hold the mirror up this morning and see if we are falling away. If we are... Um, maybe one of these people that this author's talking about. 
God, I pray that we would grow up. That we would get off the milk. That milk is great for a season. But at some point, Lord, we've got to mature. And so, Lord, I pray that this reading, uh, this sermon would fall on the ears of those who are still on milk. And I pray that it would begin to, to give them the, um, the ability to move, to transition. For those who are, who are eating solid food, Lord, I pray that they would eat well this morning. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I've gotten older, and as I, uh, and my family continues to expand, uh, I have greatly appreciated all of the um, medical people that the, that the Lord has brought to this congregation. <laughs> um, my body continues to break down, and uh, I know there's many of you that I call upon, and uh, either with my own problems or with a child, there's an issue, I, you know, I'll call Jay. Or, or Aaron and say, hey, my kid has this rash. I have no idea. Like, what do I do? Uh, and most recently, um, I was playing football, which is problem number one. And um, I was playing football at the park. And uh, I was running. And as I'm running, I, uh, I hear, which you never want to hear when you're running, okay? I hear this sound come from my calf. And it just pops, and I feel this immediate pain just go right to my calf, and I just go down. And um, as I'm laying there, uh, see, I, I've, as I've aged, my mind and my body, they've aged, they've aged at different stages, uh, not the same speed. And so my, my mind is saying, uh, you know, run as fast as you can, um, Try to impress all the people who don't really care. Um, and, and try to show your high school coach, who is not even present, that you could have been this great athlete in spite of your size and athletic ability. My body is saying, you are 40. What are you doing? We should be home watching football, not playing football. And so as I get up, and uh, drag my leg back to the car. The first person I call is Caleb Brownfield. Um, I think I called him even before I called my wife. And um, my wife, who, um, she's still pregnant, but at that time was pregnant. I was so scared because when she was pregnant with our first child, I was playing basketball and was just backpedaling. And I hear a pop. And it was such a loud noise, uh, I thought the guy who ran behind me had, had hit my leg and had fallen on the floor, and I thought the noise was him falling on the floor. Instead, I look, and he's still running, and my leg is burning, and I had torn my Achilles tendon. And so, um, that was my right leg, and um, so about seven months into her pregnancy, I had this cast on up to my thigh for my Achilles tendon. And so I couldn't drive. And so uh, she, you know, with her stomach was having difficulty of driving, you know, she's like this. And I can't drive. And my, I, I, I can't even get my leg out of the car. And so just a very interesting season of life. And so as soon as it happened, I thought, oh no, here we are again. She's going to be so upset with me. 
So I called Caleb, and I began to give Caleb all my symptoms. Is Caleb, do I, I haven't seen you yet. Caleb, no Caleb this morning. He might be with the kids. And so um, uh, I call him, and I just start giving him my symptoms. You know, my leg's numb. Uh, it hurts. I can't put pressure on it. And I start naming all the symptoms. He comes by my house so graciously and checks it out and, uh, and gives me the, the diagnosis and some remedies for it. Um, you know, rest, um, no, no football, no basketball for a while, um, stay off of it for a month, um, you know, just giving me some exercises um, to strengthen him. <coughs> I, I, I think, um, you know, as I get those, you know, like right when you get hurt, like you hear the diagnosis and, and, and like there's this idea of like, I should probably listen to my doctor. Uh, he's smarter than I am, he's been to school, you know, he's seen this happen a lot. Uh, and, and so you want to do what that doctor prescribes. But for so many of us, that's the problem, right? We'll go to the doctor, they'll tell us the problem, they'll give us some medication or give us the exercises to help us get better, but it's up to you to do those things. Well, that's what this author of Hebrews is doing this morning. Um, you're you're going to see that um, you're going to see symptoms of apostasy. You're going to see that he gives us the diagnosis and the remedy to this problem. But just like a doctor, um, I, you know, I'm going to give us the remedy here. I'm going to show us. But it's up to you on how you're going to respond. And so you can be um, someone dull of hearing and just go, well, I'm not going to do those things that I need to do to get better, or keep walking down the path. And so, this morning, let's first look at the symptoms. And um, the symptom you'll see here is uh, just childish understanding. So you have this warning against apostasy. You're going to see symptoms in verses 12 and 13. And the symptom is clearly just childish understanding. So let's look at 12 and 13 together again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of unrighteousness, since he is a child. So here, here in verses 12 and 13, um, we see the root cause to this congregation's spiritual immaturity. Um, it begins to make sense why they are struggling with this concept of the priesthood of Christ. Um, they, they can't even understand the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, what in the world are these? What's, what is the oracles of God? This is, um, it's at least referring to the Ten Commandments. So every Jew would have known Ten Commandments. You know, even in our society, a lot of people can name, at least name some of the Ten Commandments. So these oracles of God would have at least been the Ten Commandments but probably would have included even the greater law itself. And so this was an audience that could not even grasp the basics um, of these oracles of God. And God is saying that it's, it's way past time for you guys to grow up, to mature. And in verse 12, it, it, it shows us that, in, that some people in this church... Um, that they ought to be teachers, but 
they need to be taught again the basic principles. So what is this, what is this position of, of teachers here? Uh, I don't think this is talking about um, being a pastor teacher. Um, I don't think that's what this is talking about. Um, uh, I don't think that every person is expected to become a, a pastor. Uh, I don't think that's the Bible's expectation. All Christians are, however, um, expected to be teachers in some sense. Like, you are all called to be a teacher of the gospel. Uh, and so, in some sense, you are all teachers. And, um, in fact, this is, a, this is something that's um, all throughout the New Testament. Um, 2 Timothy 2, 2 says this. And what you have heard from me, so this is Paul talking to Timothy. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here's this command that, that all Christians should be able to receive this teaching and then in such a way should at least be able to communicate that teaching to others. It doesn't mean they have to stand up on Sunday morning and give a, uh, a proper exposition of a passage, but you should all be able to be able and willing to teach others also. Um, There's an expectation here, and, and, and just as you look at your bulletin on the front cover, as Dustin stood up this morning and shared just our vision, our vision, our desire is that every person uh, would know God, would find community, make disciples, and change the world. There is an expectation for you to make disciples. The way you make disciples is that you have to at least be able to explain the basics of Christianity to someone else. And, and again, we're not asking you to come up here and be able to give a dissertation or um, be able to understand the, the deep theologies, um, but the basic principles of Christianity, to understand that there is a God who's perfect and that we have fallen away, we've rebelled against this perfect God, and God has rescued us, he's never given up on us, and that there is hope for every man, woman, and child um, at the cross, like that, we should all be able to teach others that. And so there's an expectation for you, if you're a part of this congregation, that you'd be able to teach. And so here we, we, we see this, that some people should be teaching, but yet they quite they're just not quite ready to teach. And, and so we, we think it's so important that, that you're able to teach, um, teach others. And, and notice in that verse 12 that it says uh, that you need someone to teach you again. Meaning that at some point you at least heard it, you got it, but like you've either forgotten it or just didn't retain it, you didn't grasp it. And so... Um, you need to learn these concepts again. You know, things like maybe this church was struggling with love your neighbor as yourself. That's a basic principle that you have trouble with. You love yourself more than your neighbor. And so the author is saying, you guys are too selfish. You don't even get loving your neighbor 
as yourself. You don't get that. Or what about encourage one another as long as it's called today? You don't encourage each other. Your words, you put each other down. You're constantly gossiping, causing divisions, belittling your spouse, your friends. Things like honor your father and mother, do not murder. So Jesus comes along and says, if, if you hate your brother, then you've also, you've murdered your brother in your heart. Like, wow. Do not commit adultery. Jesus comes along and says, if you have lust for someone, then you've committed adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. So the, the point he's making here is that, that your lack of growing up, your maturing, the lack, the lack of that in you, it, it's not only making an impact on you, but it's also impacting those around you. Uh, see, your childishness keeps you from being the man or woman that God has called you to be. And, and uh, it's also, it, it, it keeps those around you from becoming the man or woman that God has called them to be because God has called you to teach them, to help walk with them, to make disciples. So here at this church, that's called D-groups, that we desire you guys to be a part of D-groups. We had a, um, a little workshop a few, um, few weeks ago on a Sunday night on how to make D-groups, um, to make disciples. We desire that for you, that you should be able you should, you should be at a point in your walk with Christ to where you can disciple someone. There's this expectation. It's just there that we grow. You know, just as we expect our bodies to grow, to mature, Christ is expecting our spiritual bodies to mature and grow. Um, that's why, like, to get to those deep, mature things, like this the priesthood of Christ, we had to have a basic foundation. It's the same concept that at Marshall, you know, when you, when you start out as a freshman, they don't expect you to be taking 400 level classes. You start in 100 level classes. Or if you're like me, you start in like bonehead math, like 097. You're not even ready for 100 level classes. And that's where I was when I became a Christian. Man, I knew nothing God radically just pulled me out of darkness. Like, I didn't grow up in church. And I didn't know, I had never read the Bible. I, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I was bonehead theology, all right? And um, people just invested in me. I began to read the Bible, started, I actually started skipping classes to read the Bible. <laughs> I was still a bonehead at school, but like God was like growing in me a desire to know his word. Um, and so you start out at level 100 classes, but by your senior year, the, the idea is hopefully you're taking 400 level classes. And that's the idea, like, we've got to move on. We, we, we can't just sit here every Sunday and just still be in level 100 classes. Sunday after Sunday, small group after small group. There's an expectation for us to grow up. 
Another sign we see here of their childishness is found at the end of verse 12, where they are still drinking milk, but at this point in their lives, they should be eating solid food. Look at this. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. What ought to be taking place in, in the spiritual lives of the congregation is just not taking place. Um, they should be feasting on solid foods of the faith, not nursing on uh, the milk of spiritual immaturity. And that's what's going on here in this congregation. Um, he rebukes them. Here, he, he just stops. I mean, there's no good transition here. He's talking about the priesthood of Christ. And then he just stops and begins to rebuke them. Um, it would be in the same way that I would rebuke my, uh, my 10-year-old son, Xavier. If Xavier would come to me, being 10, and if he would come to me and say, Hey, hey Dad, i got to go to the potty. I, I would look at him and I'd say, Hey, Xavier, hey, bud. Um, 10-year-old boys, don't go to the potty. All right? But, like, you're knocking on becoming a man. Like, you're right there. Like, you, Ten-year-old boys, you go to the bathroom. You don't go to the potty. And, um, and that's kind of what's going on here. Is, um, now, don't, please don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with giving milk to a baby. Um, my, my wife, um, she's going to have our sixth child. And I, am, uh, and I fully understand that that baby is going to need milk. But... We, uh, we desire that child to grow up, and, um, and uh, it's going to need solid food at some point. Um, and so I understand that a baby needs milk, so there's nothing wrong with that. But everything is wrong um, when um, that baby is still receiving milk and is ready for steak. Uh, um, and, and so there's this idea that we have to grow up. And I know even in our culture, this idea of, of uh, like, how long should a child uh, nurse? It's like this debatable topic right now. And, like, uh, there's this movement just in our culture to delay the, the natural mat, uh, maturation pro, uh, process. That um, um, we just delay and we prolong adolescence. And I truly believe that Satan has just deceived us. To believe that we're actually helping our kids. Um, and like we'll, we'll hide it under this umbrella of like protection. Like I just want to protect them from the evils. But in reality, I think all we're doing is hurting them. Um, and we're not preparing them in the long run. And so as, as a culture, man, we see this, don't we? That, that we have extended adolescence. And delayed the maturity of our young people. I mean, what does young people even mean anymore? Right? What's young people? Like when I say that phrase, what number comes to your mind? Is it 12? When we say, oh, look at those young people playing video games. Or, or you know, what is young people? Is it 12? Is it 21? Look at the young people. Is it 30? Like we don't even, we don't, we don't know anymore. In the Jewish culture, it was, it was just so much cleaner. Uh, a, a child became a young adult at 13. And, and that was the time it was just, 
it was a huge moment for that child to be honored. And, okay, you're moving from a child, and so we need to put childish things behind and start moving to become uh, an adult. Um, I mean, just think, uh, many of your grandparents or great-grandparents were married at like 15, 16, right? You remember that? But two generations later, we live in a whole new world. On average, people in America, um, people in America, um, we, we, we are prolonging marriage and we're, you know, we're just waiting longer. For a woman, it's 27 now to get married. Uh, uh, for a man, it's 29. And so men, we need those two extra years to, to keep like, completing those missions of Call of Duty on Xbox. So we got to get, you know, two more years in before we get married. Uh, and we just, I don't, I don't know, and, and just decided, like, now you can be on mommy and daddy's insurance till we're 26. And I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong. If I could still be on my parents' insurance, I probably would be. Um, I'm just saying that we're prolonging this whole idea of growing up and maturing. And, uh, you know, when I was in campus ministry, I saw this all the time with uh, parents um, who, you know, years ago, you go off to college, and that was a very, you know, just kind of a clean move. You, you kind of left home, went off to college or the military, and it was a clear-cut move. Where now, like, I know parents still help their, their child, like, um, uh, and Chris is an advisor at Marshall. Chris, I'm sure you have many stories. I could just give you the mic and sit down this morning on how many parents just kind of hover over their kids. Um, you know, they'll be 21, 22, 23, 24, and their parents are still helping them schedule, uh, make their schedules at Marshall, um, or like uh, just calling Chris and saying, did my, did my kid go to class? And he's like, he's a fifth-year senior. He should either, he's, <laughs> he's, he's got to figure it out at some point, Mom. And, and it's just our culture, we're just, we've made this shift, and and I think that shift is influenced into our church as well, where we just, we just don't expect much. And that's why I love this church is because we do expect much of college students. Uh, we love college students. There's a lot of churches that wouldn't want to give college students any ministry. And we're saying, here, here, here's, here's everything. I mean, look at the band this morning. <laughs> we would be lost without uh, that generation. Um, the nursery, you know, just so many of our ministries are led by college students. We're so thankful for college students. We think that you guys have a huge um, role to play in reaching the city. Um, but this shift has happened in, our ch- in, in churches. It's in our culture. You know, things like youth group, oftentimes it's just, man, it's just about playing games and having fun, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think church should be fun, and we should be excited to come and learn. But when, it's, when that's it, when that's kind of what's driving everything, I think that's a big problem, that we're not preparing our youth to be ready for college in the real world. Um, and I see students all the time step onto campus, and they're just picked apart. Um, there's statistics out there that say anywhere as high as 80% a freshman that, that who grew up in church will go off to college and by the end of their freshman year, they leave their faith. 
they become apostates. Now, why is that? I think it's because we, we've, not, we've not done our part on the front end. We've not helped them to mature, to be ready. We've not given them a worldview to be able to process things. Uh, and, and so all we've done is made church about being fun and playing games, and then they get off to college and they hear all of these different worldviews thrown at them, and they have nowhere, they have no grid to process this information. And so they just quit. It's so sad. I see it every year. Every year it happens. And I don't think the primary blame falls on youth group. I think the primary blame falls on the parents. Not um, carrying out their role as a parent to instill their faith into their, into their child. Uh, I think often it's because it's a systemic problem. Because the parents can't, they can't pass on this faith to their child. Because the parents are still drinking milk. The parents aren't on solid food. So it's really hard for them to pass it on. And, and let me just say, that, um, if you're here this morning and um, you're, you're one of the parents of a college student who's here and your child still has this hunger for God's word and, and will call you and tell you things that they're involved in here in Huntington where they're doing ministry, I pray that tonight, uh, when you go home, and you're laying in your bed, in your warm bed, much warmer than this room, my, I can't even feel my hands right now, um, and, and as you're laying in that warm bed, I pray, I pray that, that God's grace just, just over, overcomes you with just, with just uh, of His grace, of how He's been so kind to your family. Um, because your child is a, is a statistic. Uh, and the fact that they're longing to know God, the fact that they would call you and say, Mom, Dad, will you come down? I want you to see what, what God's doing in my church here in Huntington. Uh, and, and I want to say pat yourself on the back, but we as parents know it's really not us, right? It's, it's really like God doing things in spite of our failures as a parent. And, and, and so just weep, just cry tonight, just go, Lord, you've been so good to me. Thank you for my child who loves you so much. And, and I just, I love, I love that this church has a heart for college students. We get to hear so many amazing stories of how um, students are changing the lives of, uh, of just people here in Huntington. We get to hear of them sharing the gospel with international students. And this international student has never heard about the gospel of Jesus, ever. And your son or daughter might be the first person who's ever told them that. That is incredible. So I, I love that. I love that, that this morning, if you RSVP'd for the luncheon, you're going to get to hear the story of a young lady who came to this campus. And, um, and she's grown so much while she's here. And she's, gonna, she's actually leaving us um, to go overseas for two years. I'm so proud of her. Um, just seen so much growth. She's grown. Um, so not only has she kept her faith, um, and so many of you have not just kept your faith here as college students, you've grown while you've been here. And so, um, but, but immaturity in the church, is, it's, not, it's not a new problem. It's been around forever. Um, we see it here. We also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, Paul writes this to this church. This church is, it, it's just, 
It's not a healthy church at all. And he says this. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. So I, I want us to see this morning that you lay these texts beside each other. Um, we learn that spiritual immaturity leads to moral immaturity. You, you see that? Don't, don't miss that. Spiritual immaturity leads believers um, to live lives according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. And so when you are um, spiritually immature, you're going to be morally immature. Uh, hopefully that makes sense. That's so important. And, and, and so, um, moms, I just, I just want to encourage you. Um, I just want to encourage you to just remember, to be reminded that your child is not yours, ultimately yours. That your child is ultimately God's. And even like, as I hear little Naomi over there squeaking, like, Naomi is a gift from God. And Nate and Liza, you're going to have her for a season. But at some point, you're probably, Nate, you're going to walk her down the aisle one day. Don't say that, he's saying. He's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not, dude. Um, and I, I pray that you can hand her off to a godly man who will be able to lead her. And so we have to raise them. And so, so moms, I just I challenge you to, to cut the cord and, and bring that child up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And dads, I just want to encourage you, like, like step up, man up, take an active role in your child's life. Don't be passive. Don't be that dad that comes home. And dads, I know, like, we work hard all day, and, like, you just want to come home and just relax. Like, I wish my kids, like, understood that, but they don't. That's okay. Um, we'll have time to rest much later, right, when we die. And, and, but until the meantime, like, when I come home, like, I just understand, like, that time is for my kids. And I just want to invest in them. I don't want to be the dad who come home and, and just sit on the couch and watch hours of TV. And I think it's so easy for us men to fall into that passivity. Uh, so husbands, dads, like, we're, God has called you to lead the most important institution in the world, the family. So may we lead that family well. May we lead it in just in an active role. Um, so we see, um, we see the symptoms of the beginnings of apostasy in this church. So what is the diagnosis? The diagnosis is found back in verse 11. Um, they become dull of hearing. So let's read that together. Verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Um, so when he says about this, what is the this here? The this is, is um, it's referring to how the, the author's been making this argument about Jesus is greater than the high priest. Um, he's greater than Aaron. Um, but he interrupts here and he begins to give this exhort or exhortation, rebuke for this spiritual dullness, immaturity in the faith. Um, he, he wants to keep talking about the priesthood of Christ, because we'll, we'll see that because he, he continues to go back there, but he has to stop here. They're not ready. He says it's difficult for them, uh, it's difficult to explain. Um, and I don't think it's difficult to explain because of the, the concept is so difficult. It's, 
difficult because they're not ready to receive it. That they haven't grown, they haven't matured any. They've been too lazy to understand. They don't have mature ears, minds, or hearts to understand this concept. That those who are trained in Scripture, that they're progressing in their faith, and they should be able to to hear that and go, oh, okay, I I get that. That's good stuff. I want to eat more of that. That's that's good. That's good to eat. Um, And if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have a moral responsibility uh, to know and understand Scripture. That you, you just can't be spoon-fed, just milk the rest of your life. You need to be um, maturing and growing. And I think we just become lazy. And um, for whatever reason, when we deliberately ignore like our, that, that command to grow, I, I, I just think we're sinning against the Lord. And here it's just intellectually laziness is all it is, is what's, what's happening. They were able... They just but had to be taught again. Um, they became sluggish of heart. Um, I like how the NIV, I don't know how many of you are reading from the NIV this morning. I like how the NIV translates. Instead of saying dull of hearing, your version may say, um, you no longer try to understand. So there's this idea of like, you just can't give up. You're just lazy. And we just can't be that. We've got to keep moving on. Um, I'm amazed at how many people like say like I love God and I want to grow in my faith, but yet like we don't we don't pick this thing up at all, do we? Like we just think like we're naturally going to become mature. Like it just magically happens. This is how it happens: studying this, growing, putting hours in. You you know um. You know who the number one. Uh, converts for for uh, Mormons are. It's Christians, Christians who, um, who at least people who have professed to be Christ followers, who just know just enough to be dangerous, and when the Mormon knocks on the door and begins to talk about their theology, the the professed Christian doesn't know enough to defend their faith, and they begin to. Follow the Mormon. Uh, it's dangerous. Uh, and I think it's because we're just lazy. We haven't studied God's word to see what it means to be a follower of Christ. So if the problem here is that people are dull of hearing, what, what is the remedy? We see the remedy in verse 14 is constant practice. Uh, I, I love the old clip from uh, Alan Iverson. This has been years ago. He was asked um, about practice and he was like practice can't believe we're talking about practice and um, and they were talking about you know why didn't you perform well and and he just kept saying practice you know like why would we want to practice I'm an NBA basketball player I, I don't need to practice but you look at teams who play really well they they practice and it's constant practice we have to keep going back to the basics and keep doing things over and over and over and here in verse 14 says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And, and so you see a contrast here that there's some people in this church, they just can't, they just can't distinguish good from evil. And so the author is saying, we, we've got to be able to discern. We've got to, it's so important that we can discern um, 
Um, discernment is like, it's, it's like being able to, to hold up a theological grid or a worldview that helps us to make instant moral decisions. Just boom, boom. When something comes your way, you may not have time to process. And, and so this idea of discernment is, is training, it's practice. To where you can make a decision during difficult times. Uh, I love coaching baseball. And this past year, I got to coach um, little guys, like six, seven, eight-year-old. And I love it. Um, they're just learning the basics of the game. And so when I'm teaching them how to, how to field a ground ball, and I don't start, I don't get your glove and let me get a bat and just beat them a ground ball. I, I first start, we don't even have gloves. Um, and I'll just take a tennis ball or something, and um, they'll have their hand down, their glove hand down all the way, and then they'll have their other hand, their throwing hand, and I'll teach them the alligator. And so their, their, their throwing hand just comes on top, and we'll just practice that. You know, every practice, we'll just do that for like 50 times. They just got their, their, their glove hand down, and the ball's coming. They're centered on their legs, between their legs, and they take their other hand and just they just, that, that, that does two things. It keeps the ball from smacking them in the face. And at that age, if the ball hits them in the face, they may just quit. I don't want to play anymore. It's stupid. Um, and it, it also helps them, like, to get ready to get in the throwing position. And so you just, you just keep training. You just keep beating it in their head, in their head. You put that glove on them, and I hit them a ball. And it's just like, instinctively, they know what to do. Because it's in constant practice. Over and over and over. And the, the idea is that they're, I'm getting them ready for Little League and for those, you know, those next level. I'm getting them ready so that when that ball comes real fast, they don't have time to, okay, now I remember I'm supposed to spread my legs. I'm supposed to get my glove down, my fingers pointed out, and my other hand, my throwing hand, comes down, and I'm supposed to do the alligator now. Um, it just, it just happens, right? You don't even think about it. It just naturally happens because of constant practice. And so that's what's happening here is that the same is true for the Christian life. With constant practice, we must train our powers of discernment, uh, discernment to distinguish between good and evil. Uh, this allows us to see how one doctrine relates to another. So why is the priesthood of Christ that important? And so you've got to be able to have the fundamentals before you can understand this doctrine. And so this morning, you, you have an opportunity. Um, you have an opportunity just to check your heart to see if you have fallen away. Um, because falling away doesn't happen overnight. It, it's just not how it works. Falling away is a process. It's slow. It begins by not doing the basics. It's by not practicing. Yes, I'm talking about practice. And that you're just not spending that sweet time in the Bible like you used to. That you're not fighting to guard your time in prayer. That you're missing a Sunday morning here and there. Uh, and it's just slow. And I know that every person that falls away, if I would ask them, like, 
is this a great moment for you? Like, are you just enjoying reading Scripture right now? The answer would be no, because it happened way back here where they began to neglect basics, spending time with God's Word, prayer, missing Sunday mornings, not being involved in finding community, volunteering in the community and the church. Before you know it, you become apostate. You've fallen away. So this morning, there's just incredible means of grace for us that we have the Lord's Supper this morning. That um, um, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for you to just examine your life to see if you are if you are still walking with Christ. If this is something you still want to be a part of, and um, the Lord's Supper, it's an ordinance that we practice where, where Jesus, before he went to the cross, he looked at his disciples and they were celebrating the Passover meal and he was preparing them for what's going to happen. He knew that he was going to go to the cross and it was going to be this huge, huge um, life-changing moment in history. And, and he just, he wanted them to be ready and he wanted them uh, to to have something to remember what, what he was going to do. That, and so he, he took the bread that night, he broke it. And, and he said, this, this is like my body, it's going to be broken for you. And, and the cup he, he took and he, he drank. And uh, he said, this cup, it's, it's a reminder of the blood that's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so I want you guys to, to, to do this in remembrance of me. And so for us, you know, that's... Think about that. 2,000 years ago, that was instituted. So for 2,000 years, Christians have been doing what we're going to do this morning. It might be a different mode, but the idea is the same. That you have an opportunity this morning to remember what Christ did for you. That he laid down his life for you. To take on your sin, because you couldn't be good enough to live that life. He was that high priest. He sympathized with your sin. And he took on your sin. And so this morning, you have an opportunity to just reflect and just, and just go, Lord, I, is this what you died for? Did you die for me so that I could just come and just be an immature Christian the rest of my life? Maybe God's speaking to you right now and saying, it's time for you to wake up, to get off the milk, to mature and eat. Just, man, I, don't get me wrong. Good glass of milk, Oreos, that's good, right? But solid food, like, like I know that we're having barbecue today of some sort. I don't know what kind, but whatever kind, I, I'll, give me that over a glass of milk. Are you ready to mature and grow in your faith? To eat? I'm telling you, like, once you start eating it and start getting into the deep doctrines of God, they just, you, like, you just get excited. You want more. You just want to keep, you just become hu more hungry for God's word and you just keep, keep growing and growing and growing. So this morning you have an opportunity. So at this church, there's two stations. They're both the same. Um, so you can come to either one. But whenever you're ready, um, just make sure that... Um, you understand that this table 
is for those who are followers of Christ. If that's not you this morning, just stay where you are. It's not a big deal. Um, I would rather you stay there than you come up here and um, cause harm upon yourself. And so let this be a time where you reflect on why you haven't taken that step, uh, step to follow Christ this morning. Um, but if you are a follower of Christ, we invite you to come to be a part of this. So after I pray, whenever you're ready, you come and you take a piece of the bread and you dip in the cup and celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. Father, I, I pray that we would, uh, that we as a church, we would grow up. That you would start with me first, Lord, that I would um, continue to mature, that I would not become lazy. And Lord, I pray that we as a church, that we can move off just the milk and we move the solid food. Just like this church in Hebrews, they, they were missing out on something uh, that you wanted uh, to share with them. They just weren't ready for it. But I don't want to miss out on what you have for us. I know that you have incredible things in store for us, so I don't want to miss out on that. So Lord, this morning I pray that we would uh, just, just look at our hearts. Maybe, maybe we're not where we should be. Maybe we're... Maybe we're, we haven't fallen away, we're not apostate, but maybe we're on the beginning end of that. Maybe we haven't been in community with the church for a while. Maybe we haven't been reading the Bible. Maybe we're not as zealous as we once were to share the gospel. Maybe there's a time in our lives where we just wanted to tell everybody about you, and now we, we haven't shared about you in months or years. So Lord, may we just examine those symptoms that maybe we're beginning to fall away. So Lord, help us to, to keep fighting for that practice time, that we're in constant practice. Lord, help us not to be dull of hearing that we can hear from you this morning. And pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.